today on Doomed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL. David Bixenspan joins us to discuss the big announcement about the return of the XFL. How Vince McMahon and Donald Trump are basically the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other meme. And how the ever-changing demographics of professional wrestling's fanbase might end up blowing up right-wingers' hopes and dreams for the XFL's branding as the MAGA Football League. That is, if it all doesn't just blow up in Vince's face first. All that and much, much more on today's episode of Doomed with Matt Binder. This is a code red, I repeat, a code red. Doomed has received its very first negative review on iTunes. And it's from a guy who gave an InfoWars podcast a glowing five-star review. Let me read this to you, all right? Let me pull this one up. Okay, this guy, Bobby WG, says, and I quote, woefully under-researched. All right, I'll give him that, probably true. One of those guys who makes fun of things without understanding them. How dare you, sir? Pseudo-intellectual drivel. I work my hardest to provide all of you only the most high-quality drivel. Anyway, people, it is up to you to go to iTunes and restore the balance of power. And even this all out. All you gotta do is go there, give me a positive five-star review... And then, most importantly, take, what, 30 seconds of your time to write a review yourself. Thank you. All right, joining us now, big fan of his work over the years, writing about pro wrestling, uh, David Bixenspan. He covers wrestling for Deadspin. Uh, he has a great wrestling history podcast called Between the Sheets. And you could follow him on Twitter at David Bix. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. So um, it's uh, while we're recording this, it's the day before the Super Bowl. And mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago, Vince McMahon announced that he is bringing back his football company slash what he hoped to be an NFL alternative, the XFL. Uh, And I thought before we get into this and really jump in on uh, what's going on today with the XFL and pretty much the reason why I would talk about the XFL on this podcast, uh, could you give us a little bit of history about the original uh, first edition of the XFL that I believe it was back in what, 2000 or 2001? Announced in 2000 and played in 2001, yeah. Got it. Yeah, give us a little bit of history on that XFL that Vince McMahon uh, brought to us for a single season. Yes. So the first thing you need to understand about the original XFL to really get the context of the time is that this is kind of the peak of Vince McMahon being perceived as, like, this pop culture genius at marketing to, like, teens and young adults. Because this is... You know, spending a lot of money from when WWE went public, you know, kind of at their last big business peak, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So it was kind of seemed like he could do no wrong, even though he already had this history of not really being able to do much outside of wrestling. Right. And one of the things he had been looking into was buying the CFL. Well, it was, I think one of the teams 
I forget which, it might have been uh, Toronto, had reached out to him about about buying the team, and he was like, well, why can't I buy the whole league? And that didn't go through, obviously. So he actually wanted to do this in the first place to compete with the CFL, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, and, and that's a very Vince McMahon-sounding thing where he gets an opportunity to buy a team and he's like, why don't I just buy the whole thing? Right, exactly. <laughs> So, and it did, they did, like, genuinely want to bring him on, at least as a team owner, but everything just kind of fell apart. So, go ahead. So, let's, let, let's sort of put this even, even, let's go a little bit further back even and put this into perspective, that this was during a time where pro wrestling uh, led first and foremost, probably, uh, I mean, at this time now in 2000, WCW, who was Vince McMahon's, WWE's uh, closest competitors, already headed downhill. Um, it hadn't mm-hmm. it hadn't closed yet, correct? No, it closed either like in the middle of the XFL season, I believe. Got it. So we're headed towards the, it's it's this big pro wrestling uh, time in pop culture. It's it's what's called in the wrestling circles the Attitude Era, uh, where all Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. Triple H and the Generation X, they're all at their peak of popularity. Kids and adults are talking about wrestling every day at in the school cafeteria or in the office. And wrestling could not be more popular right now, especially the WWE. Mm-hmm. T-shirts everywhere, that sort of thing. Okay, so Vince decides now that he's going to get into football because they, just, they had just um, got the WWE onto the stock market, right? Yeah, I believe that was 99, I forget exactly when, I think fairly late in the year, and they started doing these various other investments, and you know, one of the things which ended up failing was the restaurant in Times Square, the WWE theme restaurant, which is now where the New York City Hard Rock is, and, you know, that didn't go well, you know, I think it's still open at this time, of course. Uh, they bought a hotel in Las Vegas. They bought the Debbie Reynolds Hotel, which they were going to make into a WWE hotel. But that didn't really go well, but I think they made a profit in the end because they didn't do enough work on it to really have spent more than the actual auction price on it. Um, there might be a few more I'm forgetting. Oh, they start the record label. They start the movie studio around... Oh, no, the movie studio actually doesn't start yet. They start the record label, though, I think, around that time. So they're trying all these different either semi-wrestling connected non-wrestling projects or not really connected at all. And then this happens at the same time as NBC losing the NFL contract. Okay, so even even a little bit more here, where, where we talk about... Um, it, first of all, I had no idea that... He, I, I thought I knew about a lot of wrestling stuff until I read when you wrote about um, him, them buying... Uh, the WWE buying the uh, hotel in Las Vegas. I had no clue about that. I can't imagine what that have been, it would have been like. I mean, I went to the WWE New York restaurant a few times. Uh, that was like a place to go before the pay-per-views when they would come to Madison Square Garden. And right. I had no clue. They, were just, they had bought a hotel to do a Las Vegas uh, casino. Amazing. That would have been incredible. <laughs> I could only imagine a Vince McMahon casino. Right. Vince had always had this uh, need to sort of be more than just the person who put pro wrestling on the map. He, he, like you mentioned, he had all these other things, uh, all these other uh, hopes in, to, to, to branch out into other industries that I think Vince still to this day, even though pro wrestling is his blood, he finds to be, I guess, more respectable than pro wrestling. Right, right. 
I mean, some of it wouldn't necessarily be considered more respectable than pro wrestling, like doing a bodybuilding promotion. But still, I mean, that's another one of those things that didn't work. Let's see. What else has he done? Um, he, Do you think this is the, like, at this time, now, again, let's go a little bit further. We're, I feel like we keep going back and back and back, but I feel like we have to for this. He's friends with sure. Donald, uh, Vince McMahon is already friends with Donald Trump at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anyone really knows how close, but they had already, they had already done business together a few times for uh, WrestleMania in the 80s. At this point, though, they had not really, at least in public, done anything for a while, though. That 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 public association at least kind of comes together again, like, once The Apprentice goes on the air. Right, right. It's, uh, isn't it true, though, that um, uh, first and only time, I believe, yeah, the only time that WrestleMania has been held in, which is the biggest... It's the Super Bowl of pro wrestling. Millions and millions of dollars are brought into the cities that host WrestleMania every year. Um, it's true that the only time WrestleMania has been held back to back in the same venue was when it was at uh, Donald, one of Donald Trump's casinos and the arena there. And um, it was because he had paid them uh, some sort of fee for holding it there. Right. He paid a site fee, I believe. Uh, and it's one of those weird things that. Uh, he did not actually hold it at the casino. This isn't me correcting you. It's just that everyone always gets confused about this. Oh, no, please. Yeah, uh, for sure. It was actually at uh, Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City, which is, you know, where a lot of the big boxing, you know, fi- fights were held over the years at Atlantic City. But it's it had, like, various event-specific, like, sponsored names. So that, that's where the confusion comes in. Got but, it. yeah, Trump paid a site fee. I think Atlantic City may have also paid some to get the the shows as well. So that's why they went there back to back, even though, you know, with, you know, so many tickets being bought by the casino to then give out to gamblers and stuff, it didn't have the best atmosphere because it wasn't wrestling fans. And also, wasn't it it a smaller venue than the previous WrestleManias were held at? So they were actually, like, putting money on the table to to do this. Then the previous year, yes, but it it was a conventionally sized arena. Like, if you weren't going to do a stadium-sized attraction, attraction it was a perfectly reasonably sized venue got it okay yeah i just want to sort of set in stone like where i mean i gotta believe that even if they had been whatever acquaintances and what have you before that at least knowing vince mcmahon the second they go into business i got to assume that vince is already considering this guy someone who he has some sort of relationship with sure i mean especially if you go for the whole trump and vince are the same guy idea since clearly that's how trump sees people Yes. Okay. So let's get back to the XFL now. So Vince has this idea for the XFL and the XFL that came out in 2000, that was still, that was considered a WWE company. Like it was part of the WWE, it was in the WWE like portfolio of companies they owned. Right. It was owned by WWE. The new league is going to be owned by a separate Vince McMahon owned company, Alpha Entertainment. And there's still a little confusion over whether or not the trademarks are all lapsing and w- and that's how excuse me and that's how the new company is getting them or if wwe is licensing them out at all because wwe like i didn't ask specifically if there's a licensing arrangement but when i asked them if they had any comment on like a lot of the trademarks were expiring like a week or two before the announcement uh, in a way that like they had exhausted all of their renewals and I asked if they had any comment on that, and the, the way they phrased it was a little weird. They said they don't comment on legal matters. Uh, but yes, it, that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about the, everything that's going on now. It's not part of WWE. Vince said during the announcement that it's because WWE doesn't have the capital, I presume he meant, you know, in terms of liquid cash, 
mm-hmm. to be able to do the league. Whereas, you know, as being, you know, the main shareholder, he was able to just cash out a bunch of stock. He still has the majority voting power and he got his hundred million to play with. Now, the original XFL, that was only possible because of the deal that he made with NBC. Well, he was going to do it anyway. Of, of, well, of course, went, we're talking about Vince McMahon, right? <laughs> well, right, he already had the idea, but NBC came in once they lost the NFL and offered to go halfway with them. So Vince has this idea to get into football because I feel Vince has a love for football. I, he wishes he was in the the football industry. I mean, that's why he obviously, but I mean, if he could, I feel like if he could trade off, because if you think of all the former football people, whether they became full-time wrestlers or were just, you know, guest stars that have come through the WWE, I mean, it's clear that Vince views them as the real celebrities of the sports or sports entertainment world. In a way, yeah, but when the original announcement happened, I forget if it was at the original press conference or somewhere else, a reporter asked Vince to name his favorite football players, and everyone Vince named was like, you know, people from when he was a kid. Right. So it wasn't super clear whether or not he was actually paying attention to current football at all, and everyone just kind of gets the impression that he wasn't, and I doesn't really feel like he does now, but, you know, we'll get to that more in a couple minutes. Yeah, he's a, he's a bizarre guy when it comes to that. He he so much wants to be part of pop culture and be relevant to the times. Yet I feel like in every instance, at least with pro wrestling, he's always – his ideas at least have always been as, as forward-thinking as wrestling has been in terms of uh, – of creating big moments that pop culture remembers when he tries to jump out of the wrestling world and bring in a pop culture element from like entertainment, music, movies, whatever, he's always a step behind. Like for example, he'll bring in Kid Rock as the big musical guest, what, like eight years after Kid Rock hit his peak relevancy. Yeah, that's that's one of the guys that they have an ongoing relationship with, but I don't know if it's just that or what. Like for some reason, I'm not sure when exactly it happened. But I guess around the late 90s, early 2000s, there became a point where the only music that's ever listened to on the WWE plane is Kid Rock and ACDC. <laughs> that is, yeah, isn't ACDC his favorite band? He, I remember hearing this story where um, if, if, yes. I remember hearing this story where if Vince McMahon was going to head towards the, uh, the gym facilities at WWE headquarters in Stamford, Connecticut, you would know if you were an employee there in the gym if he was headed there because ACDC would suddenly be playing on the uh, overhead uh, speakers. <laughs> like, that would be his music that he had to have on. So, Vince is coming? Get ACDC ready, all right? Amazing. Well, his pop culture awareness is so weird, especially because of his idea and desire to make WWE this all-encompassing product that will draw in people that don't like pro wrestling because it is this, in his eyes, variety show that encompasses everything that people would want to watch on TV. There's drama, there's comedy, there's action, you know, like that type of thing. You know, there's the story I think I put in one of the XFL blogs I did for Deadspin that uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. told from when he was on the creative team in WWE where he's on the plane, he's trying to unwind, and he's watching some, some old Richard Pryor special. And Vince goes over, he sees what he's watching. He's like, oh, what's that? He's like, oh, uh, an old Richard Pryor special. Vince says, well, why aren't you watching last year's WrestleMania or something? 
and princess i, I want to unwind i just want to you know laugh and you know whatever and vince says but we've got santino morella who's the their main comedy wrestler at the time for that and because he just sees it as this all-encompassing thing because it's what he's obsessed with he expects everyone else to see it that way it's so vince McMahon to feel that everyone needs to to revolve around <laughs> what vince McMahon revolves his life around i feel like he puts he he, I, he does put a lot he does put his whole self into wrestling he's obsessed this guy's never gonna retire he I believe up until lately has attended every single live event television event he is an integral not, nothing goes on TV without Vince McMahon's approval up until again maybe recently right where he's let uh, right. his son-in-law Triple H have a little bit more reign over the company because that's where things mm-hmm. are headed when he does end up uh, I guess again not retiring but I, I guess passing on um but, you know, he, he gets the things out of it for being that integral to the product in terms of being able to sell a bunch of stock, get $100 million to start a new venture, and still own, what is it, 81% of the company he still owns? Well, he doesn't own 80% of the, about 80% of the voting power right. because there is a different class of stock that only McMahons can own. And then when he sells it, or any of them sell it, it converts to the public class of stock. Yeah, and the private class of stock has a much greater degree of voting power. Yeah, I mean, that's what I always... Th- when when I hear WWE stock being talked about, I mean, to me, I don't... I, I, I'm not a finance guy or whatever, but outside, like, if you listen to like the quarterly calls they have, I mean, these are mainly wrestling fans who are, who are on these calls or wrestling journalists on these calls. I mean, very little people actually invest in WWE who are doing it simply for the investment and aren't doing it because they're huge wrestling fans and want to be able to say they own a part of the company. I mean, is that is that right? Would you would you say that's true? No, I disagree with that. Really? Uh, the really? conference calls, when I, like, most of the ones I can remember are, are usually analysts that are that get led on the call. Um, officially, it's supposed to also be open to, but as long as I've listened to them, they've never taken any journalist calls or questions. Um, there's, like, there's even like a non-phone-in way that you're supposed to be able to send in questions that they never take questions from. Interesting. Um, they, they seem very set on only letting the analysts actually ask questions. Uh, as far as the actual investment, um, it seems like they've done a good job knowing certain like investment firms and funds and stuff. Got it right. Yeah, because I basically, again, I, I've listened to parts of the calls or whatever, but my, my interest in it, again, as, as someone who's not in finances, as a wrestling fan. So it's usually to me like, uh, here's a, a clip and a summary of Vince talking about what they're, what's going to happen to this superstar who was recently in the news or, you know, how the merchandise sales for this are going, something like that. So that, that's actually very interesting to me, for sure. Um, Oh yeah, let's go back to the XFL, uh, the the first iteration yeah. of the XFL, and how Vince McMahon sold this 2000, 2001 version of the XFL, what its selling points were, how they built it up, why it was uh, the alternative to the NFL. Let's talk about that. Okay, so at the original press conference, the big line was, "Where's my football?" It was something like, "Where's my Smash Mouth in your face football?" And the idea was was that. The NFL had become for, I believe this is the exact quote, panty waists and sissies. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's it's got to be said in the McMahon voice. 
you know, <laughs> you can't. Any wasted sissies. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yes. <laughs> so there's that. He says that while the XFL won't, initials don't actually stand for anything, you could say that if the NFL is the no fun league, then the XFL is the extra fun league. And the big thing that they hyped, I don't remember if it's announced at the initial press conference or if it came in later when they were hyping the league, uh, like in the months before it launched, was there would be no fair catch rule. You know, this was the big thing that I guess he, he heard cited as being a problem with the NFL or whatever. So there were no fair catches. Um, what, is, what is the fair catch rule just for people who aren't football fans? I mean, I'm not a big football fan either, but the fair catch is where you can just kind of raise your hand and you catch the ball at the kickoff and you start from 20 yard line. Got it. Yeah. Instead of right. having to run it, see if you can run it further down the field. So he said he's getting rid of that. The coin toss was replaced with the scramble for the ball, which was two players running towards the ball like 10 yards or something like that. And whichever of them got a hold of the ball first, their team got control. The now, that doesn't sound like a wrestling gimmick match in in the football realm. I don't know what does. I mean, that could be right up there with, uh, you know, the, the, the touch the four corners of the uh, turnbuckle or the whatever on a pole match. Exactly, exactly. So there's that. I, I don't remember all the rules, but there it, the idea was this is going to be a, a more um, a more open, action-packed game. And, that that was the selling point. And the uh, the wrestling connection was fully there. I remember watching it, and you know Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were on commentary. Uh, who they are wrestling commentators again for people who don't probably the the most legendary wrestling commentary duo of all time. Um, and then you had The Rock opening up. Uh, I believe was it this the second uh, the second week of uh, games. There was a, there was a very clear overlap between wrestling personalities and the XFL. Yes. So let's see, off the top of my head, besides, you know, the appearances in the first few games from some of the wrestlers opening them up like The Rock, like you mentioned, so your main Saturday night announcing teams were Matt Fascurgeon, who I believe is mainly a baseball announcer these days, and Jesse Ventura doing the A game is how it started. And Jesse Ventura, while a sitting governor at the time, and, you know, best known otherwise for pro wrestling and being a pro wrestling announcer, had done NFL radio work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So it, it, it was one of those things where... That actually makes sense. But you could actually say, that, right, that, that it made sense. And, you know, people in Minnesota were not happy about it, but he pointed out it was his day off. Day off so <laughs> he could do whatever he wanted. Um, the B game was Ross and Lawler, but... It, after I, it was either the first week or the second week where I think the B game ended up being more exciting and they switched in midstream, you know, just ridiculous stuff like that, where they switched the announcing teams as far as I, I don't know if they switched them a hundred percent, right? Cause they weren't going to switch Jesse out. So I think it became Ross and Ventura, a game, Vascurgeon and Lawler B game. But I, I think that got changed back up eventually too. Mm-hmm. And let's see who else. Craig Minervini was on. I forget if he was either uh, the UPN or the TNN game, both networks which technically don't exist anymore. Uh, 
he had worked for WWF years earlier as an announcer as Craig DeGeorge. And both, uh, both, Adam, both of those networks that you brought up too had, again, a history of pro wrestling on their networks. Yeah, oh, he was on both those networks at the time too, yes. He had TV deals with both of those networks. Mike Adamley, who, while he didn't go to WWE till years later, was also one of the announcers. And while he was an NFL player for years, he was kind of best known for hosting American Gladiators more than football. And he had also worked with WWE before on one or two things like a bat boxing pilot and stuff. So a lot of it was people they already knew. And then as far as like the sideline interviewers and that type of thing, you had Jonathan Coachman, who is just started back in WWE after getting laid off from ESPN last year, but was a WWE announcer at the time. And even Stephanie McMahon, Vince's daughter, who was a villainous, you know, harlot or whatever you would want to say at the time. Like, that's the way she was portrayed. Yeah. Was also a sideline interviewer, and which resulted in the famous story where she is sitting, well, I guess standing in the stands with some fans. And they're chanting slut at her because in 2001, that was a thing wrestling fans would chant at Stephanie McMahon, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, which resulted also in the story where uh, Bruce Pritchard, who was a WWE producer for years, who has his own very popular podcast now, and of course got drafted into help produce the XFL, even though all the wrestling people wouldn't have to. He explained that one of the directors was like, who are they calling a slut? And then Bruce kind of has to explain, well, Vince's daughter. Right. Even if they didn't want to, they had no choice but to intertwine a wrestling storyline with XFL commentary. Well, they didn't intertwine the storyline. That's the thing. She was just being real-life regular Stephanie McMahon and not a bad guy. Right, right, right. And I guess the one other thing to mention before we move on about the original XFL, besides the rules and then that they got most of them got changed mid-season anyway when it turned out they were bad ideas, was that they pushed the cheerleaders heavily and... One big rating stunt was saying they were going to go in the cheerleaders' locker room and that type of thing. And in the 30 for 30 last year, uh, I think it was Matt Faskurgeon talked about his frustration with having to deal with that and getting in trouble for something he said after they did a very, like, prurient camera shot of one of the cheerleaders just going up from, like, crotch to face, close up. And this is on NBC. This is on Channel 4, like, network television. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. It's, you know, so I, I mean, I guess we could understand why uh, we're not watching XFL today, right? Yeah. Why, why we're so not in the, the uh, what, the uh, 15th season of the XFL now, the 17th season of the XFL now? Right. And the first <laughs> game is really boring. Like I said, they end up switching to the other game. Uh, it did great ratings. Second week, huge nosedive. I want to say it was the third or fourth week where... They ended up having the lowest rated primetime program in the history of network television up to that point, or at least in the history of the big three networks. Well, you, don't, you don't hear Vince talk up that stat in the WWE Did You Knows on Monday Night Raw every uh No, every no, 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 no. So, <laughs> you know, it, it ends after the one season. WWE and NBC split the losses. 2001, I believe, would have been the most profitable WWE year ever, at least based on the main wrestling company profits, if not for that. And... Yeah, from there, things were just going downhill with WWE in general for a few years. Did they have to lay off guys with the, in, in the wrestling part of the company because of the XFL failure? Not that I know of. They still had a huge cast reserve at that time. Got it. Because they really did not spend a ton of, in the grand scheme of things, they did not spend a ton of the cash that they earned in the IPO until they started giving out a fairly sizable dividend with the stock. 
Right. So we can't talk about XFL, uh, the original XFL, without talking about the players. Where did these guys come from? And uh, I guess uh, give us a little bit of uh, history about the uh, the interesting, I guess, uh, wrestling-esque gimmick names they went by. Uh, yes, right. So one of the things that's most remembered about the XFL is that the backs of jerseys instead of last names had player chosen nicknames. The most famous, of course, being Rod Smarts, which was He Hate Me. If there's one I remember, it's He Hate Me. And in fact, I bet if I was to go through a list of of actual pro wrestlers as a huge wrestling fan, there would be names who I probably would remember less than He Hate Me. Right. Yeah, so that's the most memorable one. I honestly don't remember many of the other nicknames. That's the, that's the one that jumps out at everyone, of course. Uh to remember if he ends up playing in the NFL a little after I think he did but the big one everyone remembers is Tommy Maddox because he ends up winning Super Bowl so th- there wasn't a lot of movement to the NFL because a lot of the guys had already you know just kind of washed out and were working regular jobs you know they weren't really going straight from college or whatever for the most part right so these guys so, so they were mostly getting yeah. players who who weren't chosen straight out of college to play professional football and from what I remember reading they didn't give them when they did sign them to the XFL. They didn't give them much time to to practice as a team before the actual XFL season started. Yeah, it was only a few weeks, which was you know, one of the reasons why the play quality was so bad. Now, who owned the teams? The teams were wholly owned by so, WWE. Right. So they basically just would rent out uh, arenas in major cities and have the teams play there. Um, the coaches, I guess, they were they were hired from what former NFL coaches, college coaches. Where would they get those guys? I don't know much about the coaches, actually. Which is always uh, a great way to <laughs> promote your uh, your football league, you know? Yeah, although they they tried to push a feud between Jesse and the New York coach, Rusty Tillman. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> although it, a lot of it wasn't necessarily on the national broadcasts. They had a pregame show, I believe it was XFL Game Day, that was produced in New York. I don't know exactly how many different stations it aired on. It wasn't everywhere, but it was hosted by uh, you know, Opie and Anthony of FM and Satellite Radio fame, who were fairly big in New York at the time with their afternoon show and had a lot of WWE guests, and... That was, I believe, where a lot of the Jesse Rusty stuff took place. Yeah, some, th- some took place on the main games, but a lot of it was on there too. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was a, a perfect storm during that era, like that late '90s, early 2000s, where like this sort of again Smash Mouth, uh, subversive uh, type of culture, you know, with ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, mm-hmm. and you know. Tables, ladders, chairs, blood, uh, women lifting up their shirts and flashing guys. And, and it was all just like this perfect – and then you bring in like people like uh, Opie and Anthony. And it just seemed like a perfect uh, a storm for this type of uh, uh, product, I guess. It just is too bad for them that uh, they got all that stuff maybe down to a T, but the actual games weren't very good. I, I don't know if you'd say it was just that the games weren't very good, but – None of it really fit, regardless. None of it really in fit football. Together. Yeah, right. Football. Yeah. So I, I do remember watching. And again, I'm not a football fan. I remember watching the XFL because of being a wrestling fan, and I just remember the whole idea of the 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 harder hitting, uh, 
extreme version of football just never even came to fruition regardless of the the actual gameplay i remember like just the referees like no one told them that there were less rules i just remember everything that you would see called in the nfl were pretty was pretty much being called in the xfl pretty much yeah if you look at that version of the xfl and what vince mcmahon sold it as and wanted it to be um there was something there that only a vince mcmahon could could bring people and you could see it i guess as something that the thing he envisioned would have been wholly different from the NFL and there could have been a market there if done properly. Whereas if we fast forward... I don't know if there was, though. Really? Interesting. I mean, obviously you're right that there was And no one else has really succeeded. And the, the only one in recent years that... And when I say recent, I mean like the last 30 years that had any kind of chance at all it ever seemed like was the USFL... But that's mainly because they were actually making sure to draft some of the best college players. And then, you know, Trump was one of the owners and pushed for them to compete head-to-head at the same time with the NFL, which led to their demise. I guess with me, because I'm, I mean, I'm, wrestling to me is the, the one sport <laughs> I follow. You know, I view it as, you know, there was the WWE. And then you had WCW, which felt like a wholly different product. And you had ECW, which felt like a wholly different product. And I could see how people could be fan of fans of one or be in the mood for another. Because they were all professional wrestling, but they were all uh, wholly different in their presentation of professional wrestling. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. One of the reasons that WWE didn't really benefit the way anyone thought they would directly from the end of WCW is that... WCW's fan base just kind of stopped watching wrestling. Exactly, right. So what I'm thinking is, is, you know, Vince McMahon was hoping that it were these people out there who wish football was still how it was, where maybe they didn't wear helmets anymore, you know, but obviously they couldn't do that then. But, you know, more of the old school, less rules type football, and then they would be just an XFL audience. Exactly. Let's fast forward now to today, where Vince McMahon actually... It starts a little bit before Vince McMahon officially announces the XFL is coming back. So let's get there. Okay. So this technically goes back to September. So in September, a few days on both sides of when Trump really started to go hard on the NFL, this company initially called VKM Ventures starts registering some football-related trademarks. At the time, no one really knows about this because no one knows to look for it. And a few days after that, VKM Ventures becomes what we mentioned earlier, Alpha Entertainment. So then in December, word starts going around on pro wrestling Twitter and DMs about how the XFL is coming back. Um, like, I heard it from people like that, you know, would normally be reliable, not necessarily to the point I could report anything. Right. You know, and I, I mean? and I'm not like, asking you to give your sources, obviously, but are these people who were in the wrestling industry who knew this was going on? Or was this more of the uh, uh, people in the, I don't know, the sports industry or the the business industry? Where were these rumors originating from? Like, what world were they coming from? Um, Around wrestling, mostly. Like, I, I'll just say, like, you know, I saw it from, like, screen grabs of, like, text message conversations with WWE employees. Got it. So that's going around in December, and I'm like thinking, okay, I may start looking into this. And then um, a guy named Brad Shepard, who had written for various wrestling websites, but at the time at least was 
mostly doing some kind of like low level conservative blogging, tweets out that XFL is coming back and it's going to be announced with a press conference on January 25th. And he also tweeted around the same time the inductees for WWE Hall of Fame this year, which so far has been accurate as well. Hmm. Where it really starts to pick up too after that is that um, Twitter user by the name of Front Row Brian, who's his name is Brian McMahon. He's kind of known more around mixed martial arts than around wrestling, but he's around wrestling too. And he's not always right, but if you, if you see him talk about a story as being true, it at least deserves attention. Right. And he quote tweeted it and said that it was true. And it actually did something else, I think, back around September too. I forget what account that said it was coming, but that doesn't get mentioned as much just because of the timing. So... I reach out to WWE. I text like their main spokesperson, their senior spokesperson, I guess I should say, and said, hey, you know, these rumors starting to go around on Twitter, so do you guys have any comment? And that's when they issued the initial statement, which was that Vince McMahon is going to be starting his own company separate from WWE called Alpha Entertainment that's going to invest in, and, you know, I don't have the statement in front of me, but something like different sports and entertainment ventures, including football. I got to say, you know it's a Vince McMahon company, because it's called Alpha Entertainment. I can't think of mm-hmm. a better name that Vince would want his company to go by. Alpha. Pure Vince McMahon right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we learn about a week later, maybe less, that the reason probably they were willing to get they did in that statement to me is that the next day... Alpha Entertainment was filing XFL trademarks. So anyone that searched the trademark office website for XFL would be able to see it. So that's presumably why they gave the statement at that point, although obviously they didn't put all their cards on the table. Mm -hmm. So they start registering these XFL trademarks. And then there wasn't a ton of movement for several weeks. Uh, Myself and others were questioning whether or not the press conference would be happening on the 25th because it didn't seem like it would be something that they would announce in advance. And then that morning, they started sending out press emails using WWE's mailing list from WWE press people, too, not the third party that they, that the XFL was contracting either, at least at first, mm-hmm. and announced this conference call where they'd be streaming Vince taking the questions live on YouTube, which explained why nothing had come out before, because it's not like it was a press conference that people had to physically go to. Right. And that's when the announcement came then. And I, I should double back a little. I should say that, you know, where I was hearing it from and some other people were hearing too, that one of the things was that Vince thought that the protests, I mean, excuse me, the, the negative backlash to the player protests during the national anthem was the cause of the ratings decline for the NFL. And that was his opening which, when he had done the 30 for 30, the final scene with him and Dick Abersall is saying that he wants to do it again still, but it would have to be the right moment. Right. Something like that. So Vince, Which, you no, know, continue, please. Yeah, you, know, you just look at all this, and it, and it just, and it fit. Right. And especially with the timing of when the initial trademarks, trademarks were filed and all that. Right. So then when the announcement, excuse me, when the announcement came last week, yeah, a number of reporters were asking him about the anthem, and he wouldn't commit, but he would say that all the players would have a rule book that they'd have to agree to when they sign their contracts, 
and that's the national anthem before games and standing for it is a time-honored tradition, blah, blah, blah. So he wasn't saying that they'd have to, but he was making it clear that the answer was yes. Now, usually Vince McMahon would be someone who, who would love the press that comes from a controversy such as uh, players kneeling for the anthem. Again, Vince McMahon's a Republican, so maybe not that specific occasion, as we can see, obviously. But anything that generates some sort of attention that wasn't negative in the sense of uh, one of his wrestlers dying uh, seems like something Vince would welcome with open arms. Perhaps, but here's something you have to remember. Even though it sure seems like this is what Vince thinks his opening is and he's going to, if not act, excuse me, actively market the XFL that way, it seems like they're going to try to push in the, you know, the MAGA direction, for lack of a better term. WWE has run from their associations with Trump publicly since the since I mean during the campaign really. Yes, that's always been something that struck me. Where you know Vince McMahon's wife is now working at the administration. Linda McMahon is a Trump administration. Uh, he's part of the ca- she's part of the cabinet. I mean, she's in the cabinet. Yeah, SBA administrator, small business administration. Like yeah, she is in the cabinet. Trump's in their Hall of Fame but they don't acknowledge it at all um, in large part because their audience is heavily black and Latino. Right. See, that's that's the thing I always explain to... I have to explain to people who aren't wrestling fans and still have this old view of pro wrestling. It's sort of the same thing I guess we're seeing with the, the difference between what the old XFL was being marketed as and what Vince is coming out saying the new XFL is going to be you have a huge difference in the audiences. Um, wrestling fans are not, you know, white, uh, mo- mostly, you know, white Southern you know, wrestling fans anymore. They're really, I would say, probably some of the most diverse sports fan bases in, in the world. Take any sport you could think of and, and compare it to the fans of that sport with the fans of the WWE. And I, w- I would put money on WWE's fans being more diverse, both race, sex, religion, anything, you name it. Absolutely. Um, the term that's used in like TV and advertising circles is over-indexing. Is in terms of a certain demographic, like ha- how much of a percentage of your audience are they more than the norm? And WWE heavily over-indexes and black and Latino viewers. And their and their uh, their female viewership has also been in ter- at least in percentage terms increasing in recent years too. So it really does them no favors to publicize any of their connections with Trump, even though it's something they absolutely would have done if he was not as divisive, etc. They are in this weird area where they're in where I really do feel like they're inseparable, but Vince wishes that wasn't the case. Because, I mean, there's no doubt about it that things like what is the, the WrestleMania where Trump was involved in 2007, where it was the hair versus hair match between uh, Bobby Lashley, who was Donald Trump's guy, who he could never remember the name of, um, and Umaga, who was Vince McMahon's guy, where the, win, the, the wrestler who won their, uh, would determine which guy got their hair shaved, Vince or Donald Trump. That's still the, uh, the highest grossing uh, WrestleMania pay-per-view of all time, right? Uh, of the ones on traditional pay-per-view before it started WWE Network, yes. I'd have to check in terms of with ticket prices and everything going up, plus the more viewers on WWE Network if the overall gross has been higher for any sense. But yeah, in terms of 
traditional pay-per-view, it's definitely the biggest. Yeah, I mean, if the WWE Network came out after, like, a year or two after that WrestleMania, I would say it's definitely hard to tell. But I think we have, what, like, five, six, seven years worth of traditional pay-per-view being the main way to watch those pay-per-views after that WrestleMania, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like seven years. Yeah, so I think it's definitely, like, a fair comparison, because if it was a, a, a constant uh, rise in, in buys from, you know, that showed that level rising consistently even after 2007 that's one thing but i don't think that's the case so like no no it was a big deal mainstream because they also have to remember that's around the peak of the apprentice and it's like it's donald trump's hair donald trump's hair especially around then is this weird pop culture thing so that clicked to a degree that even other celebrity stuff might not right and donald trump had already run for president he had already, uh, well, that, not already, a year later, Barack Obama is going to become president, which means that just a few years removed from that WrestleMania is the height of the birther movement, which Donald Trump is a major mm-hmm. figure of. And to me, it's just like impossible. And this is just not putting it all on Vince and professional wrestling, obviously. Again, as a wrestling fan, this is something I've even like struggled with. Like, am I tan- like somehow intangibly supporting Donald Trump by still giving Vince McMahon all of this money that I give him? And um, you know, NBC and companies like that are just as, uh, I guess, if you want to say, responsible for the rise of Donald Trump. Um, but there is this connection that Vince McMahon just can't escape from. No, and yeah, you know, to go back to the whole bit thing that I alluded to earlier. So, this is something I didn't know, or at least know the way I know it now until fairly recently. So, we've all heard the Trump story of him going to steak restaurants and ordering, like, these wonderful, beautiful steaks, like, well done and eating them with ketchup. Right? Right. Okay. Everyone loves loves well done steak with ketchup. Premier meal right there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, especially an expensive steak like that. Yes. So I had heard stories of Vince like preferring like as his like high protein lunch some kind of like steak wrap with ketchup, but I, I yeah I didn't think of it as the same thing. And then a friend of mine who used to work for WWE would explain to me like no he would also just eat straight up well done steak with ketchup. They're the same guy. Incredible. I mean, I know a story, uh, again, not that one, but a story of like the writer's room where they would sit for hours writing the, the, the shows. Uh, no one was allowed to bring food in, so they would go, this would go past lunch. Except would, Vince. Except yes. Vince, yes. He'd be sitting there munching on his sandwich that his assistant would bring in or whatever, and all the writers are forced through these hours-long meetings without food, through lunch sometimes, and it was just like, there he is, like, holding it in front of them, like, teasing them almost. <laughs> like, like I'm eating, you're not. <laughs> well, and you also have to understand to get the right picture is that at least then, like the story you're talking about, I don't know if it's this way now, because I haven't really bothered to ask or anything. The writers' meetings were set up like a classroom with Vince, like as the teacher, <laughs> in terms of like the way the seating and stuff was. Right. Amazing. You know, it's it's interesting too to put this in terms of where the WWE has gone. Again, we were just talking about how diverse the fan base is, and how you know the opportunity for the XFL is like intrinsically tied with Trump and the NFL protests and how conservatives are are handling the NFL protests and the NFL ratings are dropping and people think it has to do with that a bit. Um, and, and, you know, that's where Vince is seeing the business opportunity there. But then when you look at the, the people who make WWE happen, I mean, I can't think of a more 
uh, progressive uh, roster of professional wrestlers than there is right now. Uh, you could definitely see that, like back in like you know the Attitude Era where the original XFL was was being formed, those guys definitely were conservatives, Republicans, shared that old state of mind with Vince. There was a boys' club. They had their wrestlers' court where wrestlers would would the the veteran wrestlers would would you know rain down rule of law on the younger wrestlers if they were perceived to have done something wrong, and it was all about respecting the guys who've been around, and you know the, mm-hmm. very very like. Uh, very cliquish atmosphere. And then, you know, when Donald Trump's elected, I see the current roster. You know, I remember Sasha Banks tweeting out this really like, looks like a distraught tweet. I think it was nothing more than like an emoji and a few words. And I was like, wow, I could tell she's not happy. Like, it's it's really stunning to watch just these guys, um, just the difference between the two worlds of the guys who are performers and the guys who are involved in making this happen because they're the money guys they're the owners of the company right and just this is a bad example because the story turned out to not to be true but i feel like it's still kind of instructive there's a story last year of a wrestler being kicked off the the tour bus on a european tour over being a trump supporter right now it turned out not to be true he's a he's a liberal Uh but the point is that it was believable with the current roster makeup that it would happen because the politics of the roster have changed so much with the turnover of the last 15 years or so. Right. I mean, the, the interesting thing too, and I think that's a fine story. I mean, it makes perfect sense that the only reason that story is believable nowadays is because of the, uh, the ideology of the current roster. And I mean, I don't think it has to do with anything of like, no, no, they're just younger and that's just where it's all going. And, yeah. you know, even then though, there are the guys like who, who oddly enough, you know, with the wrestlers are under contracts like they're considered independent contractors and this is obviously again in a, a whole different conversation so we could save this for another day but they're viewed as independent contractors yet at the same time everything they get to do needs to go through the WWE and still then though the guys who are conservatives like you know Dolph Ziggler who probably is more libertarian but still conservative is going on Fox News and he clearly has to get permission from the WWE to do that you have uh, Kane running for office as a libertarian which is incredible to see these uh, these photos of Kane in a business suit uh, going around with little Glenn Jacobs from Air Signs shaking hands with the mm-hmm. people of Tennessee. Uh, but you know, I, I don't see any of these guys getting permission to uh, to do uh, you know little MSNBC hits. Or I mean, again, bad example because they're not exactly a liberal network. But you know what I'm saying. No one's going on Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes in the WWE. No, um, Mick Foley was still associated with the company when he would do a lot of liberal media back right, in the day. Right, I forgot about um, that. Yeah, and that's even when the company was more conservative in terms of the wrestlers and stuff. Like, he would even go on Air America on Mark Maron's show that had Rachel Maddow. and Right, I forgot about that. Okay, so bad example maybe. Or maybe an example of Mick Foley being big enough at the time to get, right. to get the pass. I think it's yeah. more that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something else we should mention, too, that doesn't get talked about a lot is the whole WWE or more so McMahon, I guess, connection to the Trump Foundation where no one really knows exactly what it is. Like, like the largest donation, I think, that made them the biggest donors in, ever in the history of the Trump Foundation, you know, was from them. And there was one back in 07 that was at least initially reported as being, like, in lieu of a payoff for Trump for WrestleMania, but then... WWE, like, more recently said, no, he did get paid, too. And 
I think there was a separate one. Like, there were discrepancies. I don't remember it off the top of my head, all of it. If you look up WWE Trump Foundation, you'll find the relevant articles. Right. But like, that there was a discrepancy over were certain donations from WWE or from the McMahons because it was logged as one and not the other one. WWE was saying it was the other and other stuff like that. I mean, one thing I remember that never gets talked about, when that WrestleMania came out on DVD, they had to make like a late change to the artwork before it came out because for some reason Trump wasn't letting them use his image on the DVD cover. Hmm. Interesting. That's yeah, really, and more than yeah. use it use his image to promote it. It was weird. And it seems like didn't seem like it caused an issue for them in the long run. But like, yeah, I don't know why that happened even. Like at the time it seemed like he was just washing his hands of them. To the point you'd think they'd never work together again, like there was some underlying other thing that happened, but if there was, it's never come out. You know, there, there's been moments like that where I've been shocked. Like, for example, but this again has more to do with Vince knowing uh, who his audience for the WWE is, uh, what the demographics of that audience is, was when uh, all these people that Trump was formerly associated with due to business ventures uh, were coming to speak out for him at the RNC. They were headlining speakers at the uh, Republican National Convention. And you have Dana White of the UFC stepping up to the plate to talk to to, to endorse Trump and talk up, uh, vote for Trump. And conspicuously absent from that was uh, Vince McMahon. Yeah, I mean, I never really considered that specifically. I think they had already made their decision on that by then. But as far as how they were going to deal with Trump, uh, that Dana White speech is just amazingly insipid too. Like he he has this just whole thing where it's like. Donald Trump was nice to me personally when not a lot of people were being nice to the company and whatever. So he, I think he's a good guy. And he also, he still calls me like, that's his thing. Yeah. Isn't this sort of the thing though, where like Donald Trump is Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon is Donald Trump. And then you could also throw in a way, again, not so overtly mirror imaged as each other as uh, uh, Donald Trump and Vince McMahon is, but Dana White sort of is that person too. Just not as charismatic, I guess. I think that's fair. I mean, he tried to kind of make himself front and center the way Vince eventually did as like the key personality to the point that, you know, UFC has a lot of trouble with and doesn't really seem to go out of their way to promote individual fighters unless they're handed to them on a plate. It's very weird. And that's not exactly what WWE does. Like they'll pick someone and then maybe stick to it too much. But there, you can tell there's a lot of Vince and, and a lot of Trump unless those are the same thing in Dana White, too. Yeah. Now, now, the last thing I want to bring up here is, and I think this is probably uh, the most, uh, I mean, I think this whole, the, the whole connection between Vince and Trump and how we got here and how this affected each person's business and how they're related throughout history and how they keep running into each other and crossing paths. I think this is all extremely like relevant to the conversation and how... Donald Trump became president and, you know, just the fact that people were just, it's just Donald Trump is just part of America. Like he has American culture. Like people from other countries think of Donald Trump before he was president as just when they think of American, they think of someone like Donald Trump. He is like the epitome of that type of person, that type of American person. And related. Okay. So this goes back to something uh, on a podcast I did like right after the election, I was talking with a friend about pre like tech boom in like late 90s early 2000s although trump did kind of fall out of the public eye to a degree for much of the 90s but especially like late 80s 
he had cultivated this image for himself as being like the billionaire. You know, he is like the one billionaire, even though he's not the only one. But for some reason, he was able to like carve out this place for himself in the public sphere as being the face of having a lot of money for some reason. Like, right. it didn't even really make sense. It was just because of that book, I guess. Right. Like, I can't think of really any other specific reason. I mean, yeah, he's going out in public and keeping himself there more than... God, I'm trying to think of another 80s figure. I'm just thinking, like, I, I, I don't I, know, like a Leona Helmsley or something. Yeah. But, good. No, I totally get what you're saying. And it, it means something, we something again, this could be a whole other conversation, but something we didn't get into either, really, between, you know, Trump... Uh, where, where you're bringing uh, where you're bringing this conversation with Trump, and even let's bring Vince McMahon back into this conversation here. Where do they got their money from, and their relationships with their fathers? I mean, it's it's so insane how close these two are in terms of even their their backgrounds in that sense. Yeah, you know, Trump, you know, tries to play himself up as self-made when he's not. Vince is, I would say. In the grand scheme of things, you could say he's more self-made than Trump, but still, you know, he eventually gets his real success from his dad selling him his company, but allowing him to do it out of the company profits in installments, even though the sale, and like, maybe that's the wrong way, but the sales price was relative to the actual profits of the company. Like, there was no way, unless he really scaled up too high, that he was ever going to miss these payments. Right, right. So, like, it, it was kind of handed to him, but it kind of was. But he still he still did impressive things in his sphere in a way that I don't know if you can say about Trump in the real estate realm. Right, no, for sure. I actually, I really do have this weird, like, bizarre view or I guess relationship with Vince McMahon in terms of how I feel about him where like wrestling is such an integral part of my life from even early childhood and it's mainly because of Vince McMahon and you know there's to me a lot more out there about Vince uh, being uh, uh, I guess a normal person in terms of just doing good things than I guess your average person who's in Vince McMahon's position would do Uh, and you know Donald Trump is not at all that guy in terms of that but at the same time, there's just this part of Vince that's just like, just like those guys like Trump. So it really is, for me, it's always been like, you know, I like Vince. I think he's an icon. He's like a, a guy that I think has done great things. And at the same time, there's just the guy who is an asshole sometimes. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I don't necessarily think you could come close to calling Vince McMahon a good person. But he certainly has more of a philanthropic and generous and charitable side than Donald Trump does. Like, you will hear all sorts of generous Vince McMahon stories just being nice to people that you won't hear about Donald Trump. Whether it's, um, he had heard about a second generation pro wrestler, um, neither the son or the father had ever worked for him as far as I know, but someone just mentioned offhand that the son was trying to raise money to travel to a martial arts tournament in Russia. And Vince just wrote this check for people who he barely knew. Right. Or when Bob Holly, who's a wrestler who on the side was building stock cars and driving stock cars, and then Vince worked out a thing where he'd, you know, sponsor a WWE team for him. 
when it all just kind of fizzled out, Vince was like, well, I mean, I'll sell you the stuff and then just sold it to him for a dollar or something like that. Right. So that and, you know, or the times he'll pay for certain wrestlers' funerals or whatever. Like, there is, there is enough good in him that I think it, you can say that even though all of their bad aspects are probably similar, I don't think you can find much, if any, stories like that for Trump. Right, right. He ain't, uh, he ain't uh, writing any checks for uh, a needy uh, housekeeper who's been with a Trump Tower, I mean, a Trump Hotel building for like 40, 50 years. You ain't going to find him doing anything nice for that person. No. And, you know, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite of those like terrible Trump charity stories that came out is the one where where I forget which charity it was, but he walked to like the dais where the most expensive plates were at this fundraiser, sat down, didn't remember if he ate or not, and left just in a way stealing from them, much less not just not giving them any money. Like that was my favorite just because it's like he's specifically going out of his way too to make it look like he had donated. Right, right. By just barnstorming in like that. Right. I feel like there's a moment like that somewhere in one of the seasons of The Simpsons where someone does something like that. Probably Burns, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get here right now because this is probably probably the last thing I guess really to talk about here is just the mm-hmm. um. So we have this business opportunity, Vinci's, with the NFL and conservatives and the the kneeling for the anthem, the protests uh, started by uh, Colin Kaepernick, and he sees this opportunity and. He has this press conference officially announcing the XFL and mentions, you know, vague terms that he doesn't isn't going to want any of this any any social justice uh, in his new XFL. And he also brings up this one other thing that I feel like is probably the biggest, more so even than the kneeling for the anthem, the biggest tip of the hat mm-hmm. to to conservatives and right-wingers and the MAGA folks and Trump supporters. And I think this is the one that actually has Breitbart salivating at the mouth because I looked up Breitbart in the XFL and literally out of this one press conference and maybe like the a couple of weeks leading up to it, there's probably been more written about the XFL on Breitbart than there's been written by uh, Deadspin on the XFL. Like they can't wait. <laughs> and... Can you? And I think from your reaction to me teasing this, you know what I'm talking about. Can you? Can you tell us what that is? Okay. So in response to a question about, I think it was Johnny Manziel, he said that there would be no criminality allowed, and specifically single about people having DUIs. Um. One of the reasons this jumps out immediately is there's no such rule in WWE, even though they have a drug, you know program and stuff, DUIs are not, you know, drug-considered failures under that the way, like, drug arrests are. Um, WB told me there's no official policy, although they can, you know, find, suspend, discipline, whatever talent over that. And then if you really look, like, they had just done the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw show that week, and there are people up and down that show with all sorts of criminal convictions, including DUIs, including one of their tag team champions who had gotten a DUI less than two weeks earlier. Right. So I wrote something and, you know, people who only read the headline and didn't seem to understand the context got, went at me a little, mostly on Twitter. Not as only, I think it was, there were only like one dead spin comment like that. Like 
pointed out that, yeah, it's probably racial coding to say no criminality and all that. And especially tied into everything else and family-friendly and the kneeling stuff. Because you have to remember, and I linked a bunch of these at the end of the article, when this was at its fever pitch, all of those right-wing sites were pushing, like, here are all of the kneeling players who have criminal record stuff. Right. Um, there was one of the owners who made an inmates running the asylum type comment. You know, that right. sort of thing. And when you consider the WWE has no policy like this, there's probably not going to be, if we're being realistic, an actual policy like this in the XFL. So if it's bullshit, what does it actually mean? And if it doesn't actually mean anything real, what else could it mean other than that? Right, yeah, I mean... Even Especially like, in the context of all the stuff that was written a few months ago on the right-wing side. Exactly, yeah, right. And, I mean, I was looking at a, a Breitbart article about... Uh, one of the Breitbart articles, and there was literally, like, uh, this writer uh, for Breitbart, Michael Patrick Leahy, is already giving eight keys to success for McMahon for the XFL. You know, one is... Uh, build your brand around traditional American values. MAGA FL, for instance, fits that bill better than XFL. Also, uh, find advertisers who support traditional American values like Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby. And hire announcers who focus on football and support traditional American values. And the good one about that last one, actually, is that he actually goes on to admit that the current announcers for the NFL are some of the best sports announcers in the business. It's just that he doesn't like their politics. This little nod to the right has completely opened up the floodgates for them to just think that this is going to be their sports uh, company. Exactly. Um, I mean, but even before the press conference, they were writing about it. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I... I mean, I put in one, I think the first XFL piece I did, that I asked, you know, in a, D, in a Twitter DM, the guy who wrote the first one for Breitbart, like, when he was ta- talking about, let's, let's make this manga football, I was like, just, just so I know, you know, and going out of the, the guy who first broke this, Brad Shepard, was at the time mainly write, just writing for conservative political websites. Like, do you, have you heard anything specifically to suggest this, or are you just kind of speculating and, you know, just kind of, brainstorming on this and he said no i mean just kind of brainstorming no inside info but i mean even if there's not like clearly they are seeing this as dog whistles and the question that i have uh again this is one that you won't be able to answer is that is vince mcmahon uh and again this is not to say that not to give him credit for apps maybe maybe accidentally saying something he didn't mean i just mean literally does vince mcmahon not realize uh that he's in a position where, with his relationship with Trump and everything, where that is absolutely what he said, and if he meant to say it that way. That's a good question, and yeah, I'm not sure if, like, even in a speculative way, I have a good answer for that. Yeah. Um, Because here's a guy who obviously, I mean, the whole, the original, again, my my main reason for bringing up the original XFL in in this, this sort of context that we're talking in in terms of politics and culture is that the original XFL was Vince's, uh, was, you know, basically a new idea that Vince had that he thought was the, the basis for it was, I love football. I have a different take on football. Here it is. Whereas this XFL 2.0, this rebirth that's coming in 2020 
it's not so much that to me that he has a new vision for football. It's no, yeah, it's completely that he sees an opening with the conservatives or right wingers because of what's going on with the NFL. Like there's complete two complete different reasons that he had for starting XFL 1.0 and XFL 2.0. Right, and this is something we should stress too. And I'm glad you gave me the opening for it now before we finish up. You watch that. He, they call we they call it a press conference. It was a conference call. You watch that. He has no ideas, no actual plans for anything. He has no idea what he's doing. He literally opens it up by saying he wants to hear from fans and media with suggestions. Everything that he mentions that could mean anything is clearly just things people have complained to him about with the NFL. The games are too long, you know, that type of thing. He didn't offer any solutions. He doesn't have any staff yet. Why are you announcing this now? Why did you see an opening if you don't actually have any ideas if it's not that? And look, I can also see a scenario, though, where maybe, even though he knows or thinks this is his opening, it doesn't. he somehow doesn't realize just how divisive it could be and how much of a kerfuffle it could be and how much he could potentially blow back onto WWE. Right. Like, I mean, he's old. (laughs) Yeah, he's 72, this guy. I mean, you know, it's... it's, He's also, and a lot of people seem to forget, is like, this guy lives and breathes professional wrestling. As much as he hates it, in terms of being just known as the wrestling promoter, he, it's, it's who he is, and it really is all he knows. Like, he's really good at it, but it's also really the only thing he's really good at. So I sometimes really do wonder is if this guy who lives, breathes, travels 24-7 pro wrestling is so detached from the rest of the world, politics-wise, football-wise, business-wise, that he even understands the, the, what he is really doing here. I mean, yeah, I can see there's a possibility where maybe he doesn't actually, he, he sees the openness, he sees that these are things that could appeal to the market he's looking to appeal to, but doesn't actually necessarily realize what he's actually saying to them. It's like, um, do you, did you see the thing a few weeks back when Megyn Kelly had like a reformed neo-Nazi on her show and she seemed to be having like an internal crisis when he was explaining to her like, what different code words were seen as within white supremacist circles. Right. It was basically, her reaction was basically, oh, no, he's blowing my cover. Right. Like, he's like, well, when we hear them say on Fox, the liberal media, we know they're referring to the liberal Jewish media conspiracy. Or, you know, and when this guy, you know, again, this reform guy explaining what he would have taught. And when... Megan Kelly hears that, she looks very flustered, and she's just like, well, I mean, when, when I said it, I was just talking about liberal bias in the media. And right. just, like... Sure. Seems very <laughs> shocked. It's... That, so, that... I could, like, I can... I mean, I can see a scenario where she snowed herself, though, to a degree. You know what I mean? Like, but and maybe that could be what's happening with Vince, or, like I said, that he just doesn't exactly get the significance of everything he's playing with. There's so much to talk about in terms of professional wrestling and politics and Vince McMahon's 
uh, connection with 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 Trump, obviously, and he he his own history with with wrestler with wrestlers unions and uh, how wrestlers are viewed as independent contractors. That I I really hope that you will uh, join us again in the future to talk about all that. Uh, David Bixenspan, uh, we could find you on Twitter at David Bix, uh, covering pro wrestling for Deadspin at Deadspin.com and the Between the Sheets Pro Wrestling History Podcast. Uh, I guess you can find that on iTunes, right? iTunes, everywhere else podcasts are. There are some other podcasts, you can probably guess the topics, called Between the Sheets. Just look for the one that has mine and Chris Elner's names as the host. And that's that. Hope you all enjoyed today's show. I think you could all tell that I probably could have gone on for another few hours uh, talking about pro wrestling, the WWE, Vince McMahon, etc., etc. But that's why you all subscribed, to get those future pro wrestling-centric shows, right? All right. So, catch you all next time on Doomed. Doomed.